I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello again. Thanks for joining us. Claire, how are you doing? Yeah, all good. Um, I hope you've noticed after the last dig about my Fifty Shades of Grey, there's a bit of a change. There's a whacking great picture that seems to have kind of landed in your your very tasteful kitchen. And yeah, it's lovely. It's full of colour, isn't it? Absolutely bursting. It is. And with my colourful flowers, I hope yeah. you're appreciating that yeah, I'm moving away. Yeah, it's no away. longer the grey house, no. There's no shades of grey here. <laughs> well, there are, but, you know, highlighted with a few colourful bits of magic. Absolutely. So what's been going on this week? I know you've had a birthday. Yeah, I have. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. What did you do? Um, I went to see uh, the Damien Hirst exhibition at Houghton Hall. It was mm, yeah. very cultured birthday. Yeah, I, know, I know. Well, I got good? a bit drunk as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was brilliant. I loved it. Um, I don't know if it's your kind of thing, you know. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, I know some people have got very mixed feelings about him, but you know, they had these great sort of bigger pieces out in the grounds, which were amazing. And then inside the house, there were, you know spots and spots kind of as far as the eye could see and what was you know you go into a gallery and it's all kind of white space and actually at Houghton you went in and they had spots set against kind of flock wallpaper and and trompe l'oeil and gilding so it was it was a bit of a sensory overload very different from your nice soothing grey house (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny you're talking about spots because it's it's been a bit of a spotty week for me as well but um, not the walls covered in spots, but um, my daughter's skin. Oh my god, chickenpox! A complete bugger. But you know, good to get it over with early. And how's she doing? Yeah, she's pretty much back on form, although throwing out a few um, tantrums at nice, the same time. Nice. Um, do you think this is like what people want to listen to? I don't know. Is that why people have tuned in? All of this biddy banter. I don't know. I'm bit not middle, sure. middle-aged women yeah. banter. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, I would like to know what people are thinking about this new format. We'd love to know. Like so please get in touch and let rip with the good the bad the ugly so moving on Susie tell us about this week's backstory okay so this week we're hearing from Dave Chawner um he's brilliant he's really really funny uh but he's talking about something really serious which is his experience of having anorexia um I really like the way he speaks about it because basically he doesn't dodge the hard stuff he's you know kind of brutally honest in places but he also made me laugh so here's Dave 
Hello, Dave, and thank you very much for inviting me to your lovely studio. Thank you very much. Cheers for coming all this yeah, way. I know, I know. I've just seen a proper argument out on, on... Have you? Yeah, there was a crash and it was... Anyway, Oh no! I digress. Um, I thought you meant in the building. <laughs> I was going to wow, that is unusual around here. Different but... story altogether. <laughs> so thank you for having me here and welcome to the Backstory podcast thank with Claire and Susie. Um, so the idea of the Backstory is that we've all got one. We've all had things going on in our lives that maybe make us who we are. What we ask people to do is to cast their mind back over the course of their life and think about the ups and the downs, the peaks and the troughs and all the bits in between and maybe choose an experience of some sort or an event to tell us about. I suppose the backstory that makes me relevant for this is the anorexia. This is something that started when you were... So I was, um, I was like 17 and yeah. for me, like it kind of, it, I mean, to be honest, it was like, yeah, it was just something that kind of insidiously came into my own sort of routine uh, and it became like an addiction, obsession. It became something that I, I, I enjoyed. I didn't see that I, like it was a problem. For me, I wanted to hold that moment as it was and kind of like crystallise it in amber and just didn't want it to ever change and this is something we see uh, like with a lot of restrictive eating disorders that it's a sort of um a way to stop growing up and i think that's definitely something that resonates with me because i just wanted to stay as it was that's something i've never heard of before and that really surprises me so mm. so uh, wanting to kind of stay in adolescence and not yeah. progress into adulthood you mean yeah i think unpacking that a little bit that, that's obviously diverse in sort of many different ways i think for me there were little things like for example my sex drive i yeah. didn't like becoming uh i didn't like my sex drive i didn't like that all of my friends were becoming sexually active and i was kind of getting left behind in that i didn't want to move on and go to university i didn't want to leave the place where i was and it kind of all felt a bit out of and i don't want to use the word control because i think to use a one word simplification of a very complex neurological disease seems a bit you know mm. seems a bit wrong but mm. uh, yeah but yeah i think it was a kind of like as, as remiss as i am to say it was a kind of control okay so you say that it started kind of insidiously. So was there yeah. a point at which you clocked that something was going on? When did you start to realise that there was there was a thing here? I remember that there was like... I remember very specifically one day like after breakfast, like, I nipped upstairs to like weigh myself again. And I remember my mum like crying and screaming from the bottom of the stairs, like, you're anorexic. Oh. Uh, which was like, to be honest, like it, that didn't really fit the model for what I was experiencing. What I experienced was that I loved it and it was great. And like, actually, if mum was going to react like that, then that was her own stuff. It mm. wasn't mine. I was enjoying what I was doing. And it was it odd because like at that point in time, I was talking to my friends at school and like, they're going like, mate, you haven't eaten anything at lunch for days. So I was like, yeah, just anorexic, isn't it? And I just kind of head in plain sight. So it, it was something that I slowly came to realise was a problem. But the problem for me really centred around realising it because it was always the BBC panorama or dispatches or something like that. And that seemed so melodramatic for what I was experiencing. What I was experiencing was incredibly mundane. But also you say that you loved it. So presumably yeah. BBC Panorama and whatever was portraying it as this horrific thing that yeah. was ruining young people's lives. But actually you were loving it. And I think that's what's so interesting about so many 
uh, kind of conditions and ways mm. of working where people are looking in and thinking, you know, what the hell's going on? And actually for the person, they must be getting something out of it. There oh, must yeah. be a payback because that's why you're doing it. So the payback for you was to do with your sex drive and to do with kind of feeling, you know, that it was stopping you from sort of maturing more and sort of turning more into a man perhaps kind of helping you to stay in that moment among other things i mean there's so many things like i kind of see it now when i'm coming out of the loop and without being triggering i do wonder like how do people get by that aren't anorexic you know what i mean because for me it was yeah reducing my sex drive but also numbing my anxiety numbing unwanted emotion when you don't feed the the brain mm. doesn't have enough chemicals to kind of like secrete a lot of the things ah, so it starts to shut yeah, down of course so for me it was a yeah, it's like eating. a sedative almost. Absolutely. In the same way that booze or yeah, any other substance abuse that's is. That's so interesting. So I'm like, for me, when, when people are like, oh, you're anorexic, I was like, how are you not? You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so I think there was stuff like that going on. I think as well, um, I'm always try. always difficult to try and uncouple anorexia which is an eating disorder with uh stuff like body dysmorphia which mm. is to, you know um it wasn't about vanity but for me it was actually more about fitting in rather than standing out and i remember uh horribly even though i love my school there was one guy who was of a larger frame uh and people kind of slapping his belly and saying mm. whale time mm. and i remember thinking at a very early stage of like if you want to fit in you can't stand out so you you just have to lose weight in order to be like everyone else okay. so it wasn't about like trying to look good or trying to get a lady for the problem it was it was more about i don't want to be different i want to sort of um but it fits so many things i mean the buzz of it as well when you were like restricting and you felt like you could restrict for long times that was absolutely great and standing on the scales and seeing the mm. the numbers drop was amazing and also that it dealt in numbers as well mm. i was doing my exams i was doing coursework deadlines and actually to feel like a success in life is really hard and, you know, different people were getting into Oxford, Cambridge, Durham, whatever. And I wasn't. I was okay. like, oh, am I a complete failure? Um, so, yeah, numbers were something that didn't lie. Because it's something that's, well, I mean, stating the obvious, it's something that's quantifiable. But it's also Absolutely. something that is completely yeah. within your control. Yeah, big time. So can you kind of describe some of the behaviours that, that would play into those numbers. Mm. You mentioned about weighing yourself and would you would you kind of record what you'd eaten? Would you <laughs> I like I find it hard to forget. So I mean like looking at some of the behaviours, for example, weighing, like whenever I woke up the first thing I'd do is I'd go to the toilet and hop on the scales because I want it to be as empty yeah. as possible. And then no matter whether the number was good or bad or even indifferent I would then move the scales and get another reading and another reading. And I normally weigh myself like four or five times. And then I'd go downstairs and if I couldn't avoid it, if I was like really famished and whatever, I would have, uh, you know, a, a low calorie breakfast. And I'm not going to tell people what that yeah, is. Yeah. I don't want to tip you. Yeah. Um, and then I'd weigh myself again. Uh, and then I would kind of go about my business and I'd weigh myself two, three times sort wow. of during the day. I was popping home from school to weigh myself. I was okay. popping home at lunch. Um, and then when I'd eaten stuff, I'd weigh myself. Those kind of behaviours. But again, with the calories, I, I remember, yeah, I used to know what food was in every calories. And, and that makes recovery hard because I can't unknow that. Mm. Um, but I would inflate 
the calories just to give myself a nice buffer so for example uh, guidelines apple 40 to 60 calories now i used to see that as about 100 calories okay and I don't like talking in calories because mm. I don't want to trigger anyone, but that's just one example. So mm. I'd always add sort of 50%. Mm. So I knew what I would allow myself each day. Mm. Um, and I would, yeah, in conversations and in the playground and on the way to school, I'd constantly be totting up like, oh, I've had that and that and that. And then it kind of got pathological. Like I'd be like, oh, there was a dash of milk in my coffee. Yeah that should be x but i'm yeah. gonna make it y um so yeah th those are the kind of b behaviors that i think were going on in the backgrounds and one of the reasons that we really wanted to to talk with you was because you know obviously the the kind of stereotypical idea of <laughs> eating disorders is you know teenage girls mm. and so on and i wonder what the particular differences are for guys you know one of the things that that I had wondered was whether there was pressure on boys to kind of bulk up and you know to take to take kind of steroids or whatever to get that bulked up image so I just mm. I'm just trying to kind of get my head around what it was like as a as a young guy in that situation I, I think you'd have to ask one <laughs> because what I mean by that is I've never one of my defining features has never been my gender I have a very laissez-faire uh, relationship okay. with my masculinity um and I think from a very early age, I kind of was like, I'm not really a bloke. And I don't identify as a woman in any way, shape or form. And I don't mean to be transphobic, but it wasn't, if someone said, explain yourself to me, I would be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a 17 year old. I wouldn't be like, I'm a man. Okay. So I okay. suppose like I'm perhaps more um, in risk of eating disorders maybe this is something we need to talk about more but yeah I, I don't really feel a strong link to my masculinity or any real gender it's never been my defining feature so those kind of gender stereotypical mm. roles didn't maybe have the hold on you that mm. that they might have done with with other people okay. there was a there was a really interesting article that i read recently about a guy who had binge eating disorder and mm. then he would go to the gym and work out you know compulsively to kind of work off the calories but also to you know to kind of build himself up and I found that really interesting just that kind of what I think what he said about it was that actually it was it was almost quite easy to find to, to hide rather because it was behavior this kind of being seen as a big eater and then being seen as somebody that goes and works out really hard at the gym was seen as quite kind of healthy normal blokey behavior so he went under the radar for a long time yeah your you said that your mum used the word anorexia and you had friends using that word so uh, you were getting a lot out of it but at what stage did I'm, I'm guessing here because you you know you sought help at what stage did that balance start to tip at what stage did you stop getting enough out of it to feel that you wanted to change behaviors I think for me that was a weird one because I remember it very specifically it was the summer of 2008 and one of my mates called me and at that point in time I was 19 and he said it was over the summer holiday in university very good friend of mine and he said look there's this thing called uh, TEFL teaching which we're teaching yeah. English in a foreign language um, we've got like I'm doing it there's one of the places available do you want to do it and I was like yeah cracking mm. great stuff so I went down there and I remember I arrived and we were living in this uh, camp in the middle of Somerset and it was three and a half miles to the nearest shop and then it only sort of 
the only thing that the shop really stocked was toilet paper and a general sense of malaise <laughs> and i uh i remember coming and we had food morning noon and night there was nothing else on campus right there was no calories on any of the food and there were no healthy options it was just pizza pasta oh, chips God. and the food got to everyone and it was a common sticking point to hear people so it was like, oh yeah jerry's you know cooked this again but for me it kind of i i realized hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style that something wasn't right when I started getting nightmares about the cookies when I started setting my alarm in the middle of the night to try and do exercise mm-hmm. when I couldn't actually talk to people because I was constantly trying to tot up the calories and then what happens with anorexia commonly that isn't talked about is when you restrict for a long time what can be typical is a binge comes along as well right and then when my binges came, it was very public because we all ate together. And I remember that summer very specifically, although it was four weeks, it just had this huge effect on me of like, I, I just remember thinking like, wow, this isn't normal. This isn't okay. And that was when I was 19, but it took me until I was 24 in order to feel comfortable enough to actually get help for it. And what, what nature did that help take? What was? Well, I think like because I, I, I kind of accepted that I was uh, anorexic, and I kind of I think I remember even saying it before then, but it was in a kind of jokey way of like you know what are you Capricorn, what am I? Oh, anorexic, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think like humor has always kind of been my foil, but I think that's why I want to use humor in a more uh, healthy way now because like I know that like even when I came back and I was like yeah you know what like I have traits of anorexia, I was like no no doctor's gonna see me, some white middle class bloke going oh it's really terrible and like oh. Oh, yeah 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 you're you're struggling nearly as much as those african 
toddlers you know what i mean and it felt self-indulgent it felt wrong and i kind of felt guilty about that because i was like you know what i'm like i'm living a great life the only reason i got help i was i was very by the time i got to 24 i was very openly relapsing and for me i was very open that it was a slow suicide attempt and i'd started writing the letters i'd started like planning the films for like my niece when she got to her 16th and 18th birthday and i'd looked into how anorexia normally takes people of which i'm not going to go into that Mm. But I'd started to try and speed up that process. Um, and the only reason that I got help was I just stopped feeling anything. And I stopped getting enjoyment out of anything. I started pushing people away. I felt constantly uh, lonely. I couldn't hold on to thoughts. I didn't have any concentration, mm. any attention span. Mm. Um and I remember specifically there was one week where I'd done this big piece for the BBC, uh, which was lovely. And then I did the, I hosted a night at the comedy store, which was always going to be my dream. And then the day after, I was one of the stand ins for Mock the Week for the first ever time. Mm. And I remember everything in my career just seemed great. And I just remember feeling absolutely nothing. And I went to the GP the next day and I said, that I'm not feeling anything and they put me on to antidepressants and referred me down the channels and I was very staunch that I wanted to be treated for depression not anorexia and I refused treatment for the anorexia four times and it was only when someone at Lambeth Talking Therapies got very hardline with me and she said look we can treat the depression without the anorexia but it's going to do sod all Mm. If you don't uh, charge your laptop, you wouldn't expect it to work. It's exactly the same with your brain. So you've got a choice. You can either put up with this or you can make a change. And that was the only time that I'd actually thought, oh, maybe there is another option. And actually, that was the first time in a strange way. And I don't know if other people feel like this, but I was like, wow, I'm not going to die and as ungrateful and horrible as it sounds that was an overwhelmingly scary feeling that was an overwhelmingly almost i don't want to use the word depressing but sad feeling in itself because you'd been heading down that path you thought that that was where you were going to go and suddenly you've got to choose something else and you've got a whole stretch of something in front of you it's like it felt like being in a meeting and you've got the meeting notes in front of you and you're like brilliant we're getting we're on the final second bullet point brilliant and then someone pulls out another page and goes right we're on to page two now you're like oh god that was in itself strangely the thought of life terrified me so much more than the thought of death one of the things that i hadn't realized until fairly recently was how high the mortality rate is for people with anorexia and i don't know about the other eating disorders i don't know about the the different levels of mortality but you know when you say about feeling kind of self-indulgent and so on actually this is this it is an absolute killer isn't it anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental health yeah problem and it kind of makes that thing almost worse because yes it does feel selfish and yes other people can feel so helpless and i think the ripple effect of eating disorders in general Mm. is so much bigger than we realize Mm. 
so what helped what helped when you decided that you were um you were kind of to coin a phrase choosing life i yeah, never had it like that before i i think firstly choosing right like firstly no one made me do it so okay. it's my own choice yeah. great secondly as well it was positively spun because i really hate it when people say oh okay we're gonna get rid of the anorexia because the way that I heard that is the same way that an alcoholic would say, right, we're going to get we're rid of the booze. taking something off you. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so I think what really helped me is to realise that you stand to gain stuff rather than focusing around what you lose. You start to get stuff back in your life. Big time. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for you. telling us all about that, Dave. That's brilliant. It's really lovely to meet you. So, Claire... You know, there's so much in there. What do you think? Yeah, well, I'm actually really pleased we talked to a guy about anorexia because yeah. straight off the bat, it challenges some of the stereotypes, doesn't it? Um, yeah, definitely. We have it that it's like all teenage girls, really, but mm. um, clearly not. Um, I know you were quite keen to talk to a man, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you said like 11% of those affected by an eating disorder are male. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a nice statistic, you know, National Institutes. <laughs> not a nice one. Not a nice statistic, no. but from the National Institute, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I kind of feel like there's so much to understand here and I'd quite like to come back to this subject because I don't think I've really got my head around it yet. Um, and I guess, you know, everyone's experience is different, but I did think it would be good to talk to a guy. Um, I watched the Louis Theroux programme about eating disorders, which was on ages ago. And he spoke to quite a few older people as well, which I thought was really interesting. So, you know, we're sort of starting to hear these different yeah, perspectives Yeah, I think that, that programme will always stay with me, actually. And the woman taking the sweet that she had sucked oh on a God, little bit yeah. and then sucking on it a little bit more yeah, and then putting it back in the that. cupboard. And yeah. it's like, oh. Yeah, let's be clear. You know, I didn't know this until recently, but this is a really serious illness. It's got the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric disorder. Um, it wasn't in the podcast, but Dave did talk about a young woman that he knew that had died recently. And, you know, it just kind of really brings home how serious this is. Yeah, it really is. And so if you're affected in any way, please check the show notes. There's some really good links on there. Yeah, so yeah this week there are. Um, we've also included BEAT, which is the, the sort of national organisation. And Dave is an ambassador for BEAT. So please have a look at the show notes if you want any of those agencies. Definitely. Okay, so let's take a bit of a break here just to talk about our podcast recommendation for the week. Claire, what have you been listening to? Ah, well, yes. Um, I cleared out my wardrobe on Tuesday. That's oh. the kind of thing you end up doing yes, when you're, so you're housebound with a chicken pox child. <laughs> um, and so I listened to a few episodes of Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History. Ah, okay. Um, it, I've always been a big fan of his. I love his books, like The Tipping Point um, and that kind of thing. And his podcast is a look at the overlooked and misunderstood. Um, so every episode re-examines something from the past and, um, I mean, a lot of them are very good, but I would particularly um, recommend, I think it's series three, episode six, which is called The Hug Heard Round the World, um, which is about Sammy Davis Jr. And the choices he made to fit into essentially a racist America and how unpopular those were with his like fellow black men and women. It just makes you realise how horrendous things were just so recently. And it's a very well put together story. OK, I haven't listened to any of those, but... I'll give that one a go. Yeah, okay, yeah. so kind of let's go back and, and just think about Dave's story again. Any other, you know, what struck you from from the podcast overall? Um, well, I was struck that when he was in the thick of it, he didn't 
see it as a problem that came across as very surprising um in fact he sort of quite enjoyed it at the beginning um and that made me feel pretty uncomfortable um but I think it was also very important to realize that there is always a benefit and if you're going to support someone to change behavior there's there's like most people are finding something in that psychological illness Mm. like you know that appeals to them obviously mm. otherwise I suppose I don't know whether they'd be doing it although that's that's not the case with everything I'm, I'm very aware of that it's not the case with depression and stuff um but yeah we sort of need to understand that behavior to be able to kind of treat them sort of thing yeah. I'm guessing because he talked about kind of panorama didn't he and how everything that, that that was portrayed was doom and gloom and didn't reflect how he was feeling about it at the time and however misguided that is it's useful to to realise that that's where somebody's at. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, obviously, overall, you know, he realised over time that, like, this was, you know, a horrific illness and, you know, uh, he definitely needed treating. But, yeah, I was just surprised by that beginning, yeah. like, that, that beginning that there was, you know, there was there was so much that he was kind of getting a kick out of, really. Yeah, it yeah. does feel uncomfortable, definitely. Yeah, it did feel uncomfortable. And, it, you know, God, it must have been so difficult for his family and everyone watching mm. him go through it. Um, and also, if I can jump straight in with the second point, um, this it wasn't about vanity as, as such. Like it, and yeah, I don't think he saw it as a kind of oh, I'm, I'm overweight and like as such. He kind of it was more like about freezing time, wasn't it yes. for him? Um, and fitting in, yeah. not sticking out, and not growing up. Um, yeah, that not growing up thing was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, like it was kind of like I think he said something like he wanted to freeze in amber, sort of thing. Like yes. that really was like very kind of like clear to me what, why you know why he was doing it. Then it was like a surprising reason, and I guess that's perhaps you know there are surprising women reasons within the men you know having anorexia. Perhaps mm. they're different from what women are, are experiencing. Mm. Yeah, and it was interesting. It didn't go down that sort of typical kind of wanting to bulk up sort yeah. of masculine thing. Yeah, and I think that was very much sort of linked to his kind of indifference towards masculinity, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I guess if kind of being, you know, if if those very masculine images that we see on the front of men's health, if they <laughs> kind of really have a hold on you, then you're going to aspire to that kind of shape, aren't you? So maybe yeah. that's why some young men kind of get into the, you know, the bulking up yeah. thing and and so on. But Dave maybe wasn't as sort of susceptible to those images yeah yeah well there was one bit that that didn't get into the podcast I'm afraid because we didn't have time to include it but I'd really like to tell you about it because I thought it was it was very very interesting um Dave as we've mentioned is an ambassador for Beat and one of the things that Beat have done is is this kind of cheat sheet and the idea is that, you know, we all know that you've only got 10 minutes with your GP and some GPs are really well informed about these things and some are not so well informed. So basically, if you're going to see them, you can download this cheat sheet from the Beach website and you fill out the sections beforehand. So basically, when you go in, you can hand it to the doctor and get the most out of those, you know, crucial 10 minutes. So, you know, it might be like, what's going on? What outcomes you would like? I just thought that was such a... Yeah, it's a really simple, amazing idea, isn't it? Yeah, it it is, yeah. No reason why you can't use that for anything else, actually. Yeah, that's true. You know, I'm sure it'd be quite useful for, you know, all sorts of illnesses. Yeah. Um, I actually saw someone post on Twitter yesterday about if it was okay to write down some stuff before they went to see the doctor. And it sounded like she might have had a sort of psychological illness. And lots of people have gone back with like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. And people have said that they can get into the doctors and decide to say that they're actually fine, like, or, you know, play down their kind Mm. of... Um, illness and so it helps them to sort of 
tell the brutal truth mm. by just kind of passing over the piece of paper and going, look, mm. is there, is there? Like, it's kind of like the opposite thing, you know, the stereotype that somebody goes and twitters on about having a sore throat for 10 minutes and then just as they're leaving they say by the way I've got this massive lump it's like (laughs) actually let's try going in there and straight away saying what's wrong so that the doctor's got a bit of a a fighting chance of of helping you yeah so next week we're going to be hearing something completely different we'll be hearing from Naomi who I'm not even going to try to classify Um, she's got so many strings to her bow really fascinating areas in her life and it was very hard to choose one of them to focus on that's a bit of a cop-out isn't it well can we have a bit more of a clue than that no no, absolutely but here's a bit of a clip just to give you a taster and I remember asking like one of the drama teachers there what you know in it back at the school you know what should I do and he worked with a lot of Down syndrome um, people and he was like oh do this do that so I went out with a whole plan Mm. like a name game you know hello Mm. so first of all clap your hands and say your name and then Mm. we got out there and it was like we can't all clap our hands we can't all stand up we can't all say our name we just have to rethink this completely we are the backstory podcast on facebook and instagram at the backstory pod on twitter tell your friends strong arm your neighbors sign up your granny search for the backstory with claire and susie in your trusted podcast directory and hit subscribe we'll be back next week see you soon (laughs) you say bye first (laughs) no you say bye oh no you say bye you say bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.